0: you to imagine with me if you would that you are sitting at your favorite restaurant or whatever that may be and they, let's imagine that they have some outdoor seating and you're seated at a uh, one of those kind of like bistro kind of heavy metal chairs and you're kind of enjoying the company of your friends and family and uh, all of a sudden you notice behind you a lot of screaming and a bunch of commotion and you're trying to figure out what's going on and you look back and there is this massive greyhound dog run in your direction at like 90 miles an hour and you are like what in the world and so you kind of move and you dodge and you kind of get out of the way and as the greyhound sort of passes you by you notice that he's not alone that that's stuck to him he's got a leash and on the other end of that leash this dog is dragging one of those heavy bistro chairs and it's just flying through the air as it's going along And you can imagine the commotion and the mess that this is creating and you ask, well, how, how in the world did that get started? And so we go back to this person who chains up their dog next to this chair. Somebody comes by and bumps the chair, which startles the dog, which, which causes the chair to move a little more, which startles the dog some more, which causes the chair to move some more. And next thing you know, the dog takes off, which starts people screaming and yelling, which causes the dog to run some more. And he's running, trying to escape this chair that he thinks is out to get him. And all he's got to do to make all of this go away is do what? Stop. And I wonder sometimes, and this is what I want to talk about tonight, if that is not a picture of you and me. There's so much emotion and so much commotion that goes on in our lives, and we're running, and we have so much anxiety and so much worry, and there's so many things in the world that are going wrong, and there's like we could just keep going, and it's like this, this chair, we're just running from this thing, and maybe maybe some of it would die down if we would just take a moment and stop. Like we're, we're running and we keep going and we think that the answer to our problem is to just continue running and going and moving. And, and I wonder sometimes if we're not missing what maybe God wants to do because we don't take the time to just simply stop. So I want us to look at a psalm tonight. David is a great example of this that we all need to learn how to pause and stop and be with Jesus. I'm gonna say that again. We all need to learn how to pause and stop and be with Jesus. I, I believe now more than ever we've got to learn to pause and stop and be with Jesus. There's never been a moment in history to my knowledge uh, where like this moment where you are connected 24 7 to the rest of the world and i think that sometimes this is just my viewpoint that our discipleship and our uh, spiritual formation has not caught up to our technology like what what is i ask this question of myself quite often what does it mean to serve jesus with the smartphone? What, what does it mean to serve Jesus when we're connected to the world 24-7, when there's always something uh, bombarding us and coming in? And I think now more than ever, if we don't develop the discipline of pausing and stopping, of turning off the noise for a moment and getting alone with Jesus, then we will miss what God is doing. Listen, there is a world that, that wants to try to scare you and spook you and make you run and make you... Uh, it wants to set the pace of your life, and you have to slow down and say intentionally, like, no, this is not going to set the pace. Like, Jesus sets the pace. I I get to choose. And more than ever, we got to take control over those things and say, no, 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 we, we have to pause and stop and be with Jesus. And David, we, we could look to many different psalms to... Where David talks about pausing to be with God, but I want us to look at Psalm 62 tonight. Psalm 62, if you got a Bible. Psalm 62. 12 verses. Just want to read them tonight. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they together are lighter than a breath put no trust in extortion, set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, the power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. Father, this evening, we ask that you would speak, and that you would transform us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to just look at this psalm and just uh, point out just a few things tonight, and I and, and I want us to really think about maybe the areas in our lives where we need to just just pause and just, just get alone with Jesus and just let him uh, work some things out. First of all here, David pauses and remembers that God alone is his source. He pauses and remembers that God alone is his source. This poem begins with David declaring that he's waiting for God in silence, And as this poem moves forward, you feel almost this surge of confidence in who God is. It starts out with, Lord, I'm I'm sitting alone and I'm waiting for you in silence. And as it moves forward, there's almost this this idea that as he's praying, I don't know if you've ever had those moments, you come into God's presence and you're not sure kind of what to do, but as you sort of enter in and you begin to worship, as you sort of get into the middle of it, all of a sudden, like this confidence begins to arise in you. And you can see that progression here. I can imagine that perhaps David has reached a moment where maybe many of you are where he's had enough. I don't know if you've ever been there, but if you, you reach a moment where you've been kind of coasting through and things have been sort of battering you and you just come to the point where you say, I'm done. I have got to get alone with Jesus. We got to sort this out and you go get alone with him. And David, I think is at one of these moments here that he's going, I've had it. I've had enough. I've had enough of the garbage that's going on around me. I've had enough of the the outside sources trying to to set the agenda. I'm done. I'm going to wait before the Lord. And so this psalm, they tell us, was probably written during the time that David's son Absalom is staging his, his coup. David has had a rough time. He's being attacked. And if you remember the story in 2 Samuel, Absalom, David's son, gets very upset with David. And I won't go into too much detail, but I'll just kind of give you a brief overview. So one of David's uh, other sons has decided that he is, uh, likes his stepsister, Tamar. So David's son, Amon decides that he's going to sleep with his stepsister, Tamar. He wants, her to, he wants to have her. And so he calls her in and, and, and tricks her and rapes her. And this happens to be Absalom's sister. So Absalom is upset, admittedly so, like, you know, really upset about this because here this, this uh, stepbrother of his has raped his sister. And he is furious about it. And to make matters worse, the dad, David, the king of Israel, doesn't do anything about it. He, he pushes it kind of under the rug and leaves it to be and just says, kind of just goes on about life. He kind of, kind of gives him maybe a little slap on the wrist and kind of shoves it under So Absalom is understandably upset about this and he decides if dad's not going to do something about this man I'm taking matters into my own hands and so he tricks his brother and and kills him he gets all of his all these people together for this big banquet and he says when when Amon gets here we're, we're taking him out. When I give you the word, you you take him out. And so he takes out Amon and kills him in revenge over his sister. I know this sounds like some sort of soap opera or movie that you watch, but this is in the Bible. It's in Second Samuel, and so Absalom then, having committed murder, runs away because he's murdered the, the king's one of the king's sons. So he runs off for a while, and he's away, and over time, uh, he and He ends up being reconciled to his father, David, and I say reconciled in air quotes because nothing was ever really the same between them. It was never the same. And so they kind of come back together and David forgives them, but nothing in their relationship is ever really the same. And so Absalom is still kind of harboring this malice and this bitterness and this uh, vengeance in his heart because here dad let this happen and what's the deal and what's going on? And so he decides that he's going to start trying to, he's, he's, he's a son of the king, he's going to take the kingdom. And so he starts for, a, I believe it says about four years, he starts going out to the city gate and he would see people as they're coming in. And they're coming in to deal with their problems and they're coming into town. And he would say, hey, uh, love to talk to you. What, what, are, you, what are you headed in, in here for? And they tell him, oh, we're having this problem. And he said, you know, wouldn't it be great if, if the king had time to listen to you, w- wouldn't it be great if the, if, if the king had somebody like me who could take time to listen to you and hear your complaint? And, you know, you know if, if I were king, he, he kind of starts, starts edging his way in and starts saying, you know, if the king had somebody like me around, we could take care of your problem. And the Bible tells us that over this course of this four years, Absalom won the hearts of the people, that he manipulated his way in, that he wins the hearts of the people. And so once he's won the hearts of the people, he decides to, he's going to overthrow David. He's, he's kicking him out, David's out, Absalom's in. And, it, and so he goes full on and decides he's going to run his father out of town, try and kill him, try and take the kingdom. And it is in the midst of this, if you can kind of, you can kind of feel uh, what would be going on in this moment, it is in the midst of all of this mess that David pens, this song. Like, it is in the midst of a son trying to betray him and overthrow his kingdom, and it's probably, other than his time running from Saul, one of the worst moments of his entire life. Probably worse because now you're being betrayed by your own son. So he's in one of the worst moments of his entire life, and it is in this moment that he pens this song. I I don't know about you, but that speaks volumes to me. Like, Like, we think that we would get stuff like this in moments where everything's kind of grand and happy but we we don't get that we get we get this when things are are not good notice what it says in chapter in verse uh, excuse me psalm 62 verse 3 david feels as though he's like a that people think he's a broken fence you ever seen a broken fence after a hurricane you just kind of come up and you give it a, a kick and it just topples over what so David says here he says these people think I'm a broken busted fence and all they've got to do is come up all Absalom has to do is come up and give it a tap and the whole thing's going to fall that, that's what they think of me he says they want to throw me down from my position they, they want to come in and they want to cast me down from the position of being king they thought he was a, a broken fence one good shove and he's coming down and what was his response in all of the midst of this Again, I can imagine that somehow he's come to a point where he says, God, I've, I've had enough. Like, I'm, I'm done. I'm over this. God, I, I've got to get alone with you. I want to, I'm going to wait for you. And he starts out with this reminder that God alone is his source. Now think of all the things that David could have looked to to be his source. He's the king of Israel. He's got uh, He's got men who are still faithful to him, men who want to fight with him. He's got resources, maybe not as many as he had before, but he's got resources. He's got brains and he's got experience as a warrior. Yet he doesn't say, I trust in my sword, or I trust in my men, or I trust in my expertise, or I trust in my ability. He says, God alone is my source. God alone is my source. The Hebrew word for only actually introduces Five of the verses in verses one through eight. He says, God alone, for God alone his soul waits in silence. God alone is his rock and salvation. For God alone his soul waits in silence. His hope comes from him. He says, God only is his rock and salvation. Why could David wait in silence? Well, maybe it's because he said all that needed to be said. Or maybe he's, it's because words just wouldn't come. You ever been there where you're so broken and so hurt and there's so much stuff going on and you go to get in God's presence and like you don't even you you try to get something out and it's just not coming. Like you you try to you go to pray and the words just won't they're just not coming. And I happen to think this is the way that David was at this moment cuz he's not normally kind of like short on words. I think he gets to this moment and he is just so broken and so busted, and things are just going so terribly. He he wants to get it, he he can't get it out, and so he has to say, "For God alone, my soul waits in silence." He just sits before God, and just waits. You know, sometimes we need to just sit before God and just wait. Like we're like don't don't worry about the words. We we worry so much in prayer about what to say, and there comes a time in deep prayer. Where there's nothing that needs to be said. When, when you were younger, uh, those of you in the room who are married, and you were dating, you went on that first date, and you kind of like nervously, right, you have to feel all of the silence, right? So you say stuff, and you talk them back and forth, and you're getting to know each other. And silence at that moment is really awkward, right? Because you're like, what is she thinking? Or what is he thinking? He doesn't like me. He better, I better say something. I got to break this up. So we, we talk a lot around people we don't know or we're trying to get to know because we're, we're nervous and we got to kind of feel that, that vacuum. But if you've been married for a little while, I don't know about you, but sometimes you get alone with your spouse and you don't have to say anything. You just enjoy their presence. And there is a deeper level of relationship that occurs where where you, like it goes beyond words. And I think in our relationship with Jesus, like prayer, the words that we say are great, but there comes a point where life is busted you up so bad, and you've got to get alone with God, and words, like you've got to hit a deeper spot than words are going to hit. Like you, you just have to sit before God in silence. So David begins this prayer by reminding himself that God is his source, and he moves into a complaint about his enemies, and then he circles right back around to state his confidence in God. So, David knows that God is source, and then he, he also pauses and he reminds himself that life is short. This is good to reflect on. Not, not just that God is our source, but that life is, is short. David says in verse 9, those of low estate are but a breath, those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than breath. David is reminding himself that all of us are temporary. The word breath here is the same word that's used in Ecclesiastes when it, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, meaningless, meaningless, vanity, vanity, everything is vanity, a chasing after the wind. It's like a, a puff of air is the idea here. Life is just a puff. You ever been to the eye doctor and they got that stupid machine and you put your eye in? My, my daughter went to one and I was like, she's going to get the puff of air. And I'm like, I'm, I'm waiting for her to like jump. And they're like, oh no, we don't do that anymore. I'm like, wow, Okay. Then I went to the eye doctor, and what do they do? They stick me and puff me right in the eye, and I jump. Anyway, I can't get the cool new no puffing. But you got this like puff of air, right? That, that like pops and sits in your eye, and that's the idea here—that uh, that David's talking about. Life is a puff. It's a it's a quick, just a quick poof of air, here and gone, that fast. And and David is not just talking about Absalom being a, a puff of air, although that's part of it. He's even talking about himself. Like all of us, we're just, you're just a puff. We are temporary. This reminds me of what James says in James 14, in 4.14, that, that life is a vapor. David reminds himself that money and riches are empty. He says, don't set your heart on them. I see, it would be tempting for David to think that money and riches bring power it would be tempting to think that in this situation man i've i've got my life i got my life and i've got the money and i got the power but he sees through all of that and says no money and riches and power they're all meaningless because life is a quick puff none of that stuff matters what does he do he reminds himself of this he's he says in verse 11 once god has spoken twice i have heard this that power belongs to god And that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render a man according to his work. So David reminds himself, man, God is my source. Life is a puff. It's 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 a quick thing. And at the end of the day, God is the one who holds the power, and God is the one who's full of steadfast love. And David believed that God was going to work things out. Even in the middle of all of this mess, David believed God's going to work things out. Life is fast, it moves quick, it's a quick puff, and, and God is my ultimately my source, and God is going to work things out. And the word here that David uses for uh, steadfast love, the word is chesed, and this is the word we use for God's covenant keeping. It's not just a word for love, it is about God's faithfulness. And so David is saying, man, God is in control and God is faithful. God will always come through. God is faithful. God is loving. It's his steadfast love. And man, isn't it good to know that in the midst of a life that goes crazy, that we can hold on to a God who is our source and who is in control and who loves us with a steadfast love. And so here's what I think we need to remember that we need to pause. So we're in the midst of just, um, the world has gone mad, like I'm sure you've you've noticed, but the world is mad. It It is crazy. And we can choose to participate in the madness, or we can pause, and we can get along with Jesus, and we can see what he has to say. And I think now more than ever, it's important that we pause and remember that God alone is our source. Some of us we need to get along with God. Maybe you've been struggling. That something's been attacking you, or uh, something's been happening, and you're, you don't quite fully understand it. We need to get alone with God. Maybe you've at the point where you feel like life has sort of stripped you of everything and it's laid you bare. We need to get alone with God. Find a place, find a time, pause, and get alone with God. Let your soul wait before Him in silence, remembering that He is your source. Yeah. I had one of these moments several weeks ago, right? You you have your daily prayer time and your daily time with Jesus, and then there are those moments where like you you just got like you got to have something more. And I had come to the point where I'm like, "All right, I'm over it. I'm done. Like Jesus, if you don't show up here, like you like you have to show up. I'm here. You better be here. Let's go." I had one of those moments. And I can tell you like we we need those types of moments in our lives where we say, "Jesus, I'm here." You better show up. We're meeting you, and we're getting this done. We're getting this handled. And there's some of us, maybe you've struggled with some stuff for a long time, and instead of trying to keep going, like that dog with the chair on his back, instead of keeping uh, running, maybe you need to just stop and pause and say, I'm here, Jesus, I'm expecting you to show up, and we're getting this handled. Like, we we need to pause and remember that Jesus is our source. Because you see, part of our problem is this is that we look to other things as our source, right? Part part of the problem in our lives is we say I surrender all, and we say Jesus is my source. But the truth of the matter is, if we looked at our lives like something other than Jesus is our source, I was uh, my my in laws came down last weekend, and uh, my father in law was helping me do some work around my house, and uh, I am completely ignorant when it comes to these things like uh I like hammers and nails and tools like I sort of get by uh and trying to explain it to my daughter she was like well dad you're good at like putting batteries and stuff and things like that with screwdrivers and I'm like yeah I could do that but like above that's like not like that's beyond me and so we're doing something with electricity and we put some stuff in and uh and he had to go home and so I've sort of been left to, to deal with it and like I said it's way above my ability and so I, I flip the the breaker on this particular device and every time i flip it the the breaker trips and again i don't know much about electricity but i've learned two things in the last week one uh that it's it might be tripping because there's a short somewhere like there's a short in the the thing itself like it's shorting out or two i've learned that if you don't have the right source the right amount the right uh stuff coming to it like it's not going to function like it's going to trip the breaker is going to trip and I, I was thinking about that, and I wonder sometimes in our own lives, we keep getting, we keep getting tripped up, right? And, I, and, I, and it, I think it's because of one of two reasons. One is like sin is shorting things out, right? If you, if you have a habit of sin in your life, it will short out the ability of God to, to get into your life and do what he needs to do. Sin, sin will short out your life. It will, it will cause you to trip up every single time. It will, it, it will keep God from being able to flow like he needs to flow into your life. And so for some of us, we can say that God is our source, and maybe he is, but sins in our lives are keeping him from getting through like he needs to get through. And then for others of us, man, if you don't have the source hooked up to this thing correctly, it trips every time. And for some of us, well, our source, we're not even connected to God. Like if we were honest with ourselves, we might say that we're connected to God, that he is our source, but there's all sorts of other things. But like I, like people all the time. If you really drill us down to it, man, maybe money is your source. It's really tempting. You might say things like, when, you know, when we get this, or when when I get that raise, then I'll. And like those are those are innocent little things. But sometimes I think they betray deep down what we really believe because we believe if if money when money comes through for me, then I'll fill in the blank. And mo- money easily becomes our source. But here's the problem, like. Money has. This will happen with money. It will either leave you, or you will leave it. Like one one or the other is going to happen. Like you will wake up one day and it will all be gone. Just ask people who jumped out of buildings because their stock crashed and they were woke up worth nothing. Right? Like, like that's happened. You you will wake up one day and and it will be gone, or you will live your life and you will die and you can't take it with you. So money is a. uh, It's it's easy to be manipulated into thinking that that is our source. But man, one day it will leave you or you will leave it. One or the other, it's not sticking around and you don't get to keep it. And don't put your hope in it. Don't put your hope in it. People will let you down. You see people, they, they have this, uh, their family becomes their idol. It becomes their source. It becomes, and listen, your family is important. But I see people all the time, they're so wrapped up in things and God becomes over here and these relationships over here become their, their idol, their source. And an idol is when we make a good thing an ultimate thing. Let's say that again. An idol is when we make any good thing an ultimate thing. Jesus is your only source, nothing else. And if you're tempted to take money or power or whatever and make it your source, man, it's not going to work out well. You will trip that breaker every single time. Here's another one. In the middle of election season, people are tempted to make politics their source right if we can just vote in so and so they will fix all of the problems right we we don't say that but that's what we believe through our actions many times and people are not i don't care who we we put in like they're not our source jesus alone is our source and we can't trust in horses or chariots or 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 people and in power we trust in the name of the lord our god and it's important for us to remember this. The, the problem is with most of us, here's the thing I, I think about. Most of us aren't, aren't like uh, David, right? David had power, and he had an army, and he had wealth, and he had these things. And he realized that life was still empty without them. Here's the thing with us, though, is that we aren't David, and most of us, We think, if I could just get more power, or more money, or more whatever, then I would be satisfied, right? But take it from David, and even Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon, David's son, is the wisest man who ever lived, one of the richest men who ever lived. He's got everything he could dream of at his disposal, and what does he say? Meaningless, meaningless. It's all meaningless. And yet we think we'll find more meaning, or more a purpose if we just got more. Here's the guy who had it all, who tells us, you can get it all. You can can have everything your heart desires, and still, and there's something empty inside. There's still something broken about you and me, even if we were able to get everything we wanted. And so uh, the problem is most of us think if we just got more, but we've got to learn right where we are, God is our source so we must pause and remember that God is our source. Secondly, we need to pause and remember that life is temporary and God is in control. Life is temporary and God is in control. Some of us just need to stop and just breathe. Like, we just need to stop and breathe. We've been running so hard thinking that we control everything and we can somehow make things happen, and the truth is God is ultimately in control. And for some of us, just a pause in God's presence just to take a moment just to breathe would do you a world of good. The Bible says the word for the spirit in Greek is pneuma, which just means a wind or breath. Like some of us just need a refilling of breath. We've, we've lost our breath because we've been going so hard and so long trying to fix things ourselves, trying to make things happen for ourselves. We need to stop and just allow the breath of God just to refill us. We, we need that that pause. What what do we do when when life disappoints us? When 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 it seems like things are out of control? What do we do in those moments? I can remember. Some of you may know. Uh, may, I may have shared this with some of you before. But when I was a uh, when I was a senior in high school, my dad pastored a church in West Tennessee, a uh, fairly decent sized church, about about the size of our church here we'd been there for about seven years, so I'd been there from the time I was 10 years old to the time I was, uh, I was about 17 at this point, about to turn 17, and things at the church were, seemed to be going well, it seemed to be going good, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, if, if you're not familiar with how church politics works, uh, God bless you, just stay ignorant of it, but uh, yeah, so out of nowhere, kind of the, the board started saying stuff like, hey, um, you know, maybe we want to go in a different direction those kind of things not not any kind of moral reasons there was no moral failure or anything like that and so my family found themselves kind of feeling like a pushed out partially and then partially God just saying it's time to just go but where do we go and we lived in a church parsonage which further complicates the matter because you lose your job now you've lost your house here I am 17 years old making plans for college making all my friends are here my job is here everything is in this spot everything i know is in this spot and all of it is thrown into just a mess so we move out of this uh the church's house in september of i think 2001 the end of september and we moved in with my grandmother and it was my grandmother uh my family which was four and then my aunt and my cousin and their two kids we got like nine people a few pets all living in this house with only uh three or four bedrooms and I think we had like two baths but it was like two and a half baths it was one of those kind of weird weird things and so I'm the only boy out of the cousins so it's me and all these girls and so I had to move into my cousin's room and we thought it would just be there for a few weeks like this is just a temporary thing and one week turned into two weeks turned into three weeks turned into Christmas turned into New Year's turned into I think it was six or seven months by the time it was all done and at 17 years old I, I'm having to process through all this right and it would have been really easy for me to go like man god what like what happened like where did what where where did you like i'm getting the short end of the stick here because my college plans were totally messed up everything was totally in a, a mess I had no idea what was going on and I, i'm going I, god w- w- i could have gone god i could have become angry with church people and said you know they, they did this and they should have done that like all, all of that's a, a possible reaction. But I've got to tell you, I just had to learn, man, God is still faithful. Like, even even in the midst of all of this stuff, God is still in control, and his steadfast love is still good. Like, no matter what people may have done, or no matter what situations may have thrown us in, like, God is still in control, and he's still a God of steadfast love and never-ending faithfulness. So I don't know where you find yourself or what situation you find yourself in. But man, sometimes we need to pause and just remember that God alone is our source and that He is a God who is in control and that He's a God of steadfast love and faithfulness. That His mercies are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness, says the writer in Lamentations. That He is a good God who always, 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 always comes through. Like always. And he doesn't always come through the way you want him to. And it doesn't always look the way that you want it to. Right? Like, I had my plans. And if God had come through the way that I wanted him to, we would have looked completely different. And I wouldn't be, like, I wouldn't be here today. But God knew exactly what he was doing. And he was moving all the pieces into place. And even though it wasn't the way that I would have done it, it's the way that it needed to be done. And I think sometimes in our lives, we want God to do it our way. And God is going, like, no, I'm not doing it your way. Because if I did it your way, it would would hurt worse. Like if I did it your way, it would hurt worse. I I think as a parent, uh, if you think of discipline, right, we uh, temporarily uh, inconvenience our kids or cause them a, a little bit of pain temporarily so that it doesn't hurt worse if they did it their way. Right? Like if I I let my two-year-old reach his hand up and just touch the stove, like that's going to be some some serious pain. But if he tries to reach up and touch the stove and I discipline him and say, no, we don't touch the stove, like he might hurt temporarily, but that's nothing compared to the pain he would have if I let him do it his way. If I let my six-year-old run out in the middle of the street and play and do whatever she wanted in the middle of the street, she's likely to get hit by a car which would cause severe damage to her. And she can endure the temporary pain of discipline of dad saying, no, don't go in the street. If you go on the street, you're going to get grounded. If you go on the street, you're in trouble. Like she, can, she needs to go through that pain because that's better than the alternative. And sometimes I think we get mad at God because we feel the, the pain of what he's doing and he's moving some things around. And if, but if we really were like look at it that way, like God is putting us through a little bit of pain here, and a little bit of, and I'm not not like not demeaning it or making light of it at all. Like it's still painful stuff sometimes that God puts us through and causes us to go through. But in light of what we could be going through and would be going through, did we do it on our own? Man, it's it pales in comparison. Because God is a good God who is faithful and He wants to do what's good for you and for me. And so we have, we have to remember in this world, listen, things move fast and life gets crazy and things get out of control. And we have to remember in the midst of the madness to pause and go, God, you are my source. Lord, Lord nothing else will do, just you, Jesus. You, Lord, it, it all comes from you. And Jesus, you are good. And my life is short, but God, you are faithful. God, you you are faithful and you've been faithful and you will continue to be faithful.